Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us every week. If you're being blessed by this ministry, please tell your friends about us and have us, uh, you know, tune in every week and listen. You may also even share on your Facebook page or social media uh, some of these uh, broadcasts because we air everything that we air on national television. We archive on YouTube. And so that being said, if you have watched uh, a program or like, for instance, this is the first time you're tuning in, this is the second message of a series titled, You Will Recover Your Life, uh, that you can go back and watch everything we have archived. Everything that we've archived to date is there on our YouTube uh, channel, and you can watch it on demand or share it on your Facebook if there's something that you really like and you want to share with your friends. Please, please, please do. That helps us get the message out, and we appreciate that. And the easiest way to do that is just simply to go to my website at lenhiles.com. You'll see that uh, at the lower part of the screen is our web address. And in the upper right-hand corner of our website, there's a little icon that looks like the YouTube. You tap on that, it will take you directly, it's a direct link to our YouTube page. If you also say, well, I don't have time to sit down and watch the video, but I, I like to listen sometimes to stuff while I'm sitting in my office or I'm working in my uh, home office or my office even at work, you can go to the audio portion of this messages on iTunes. Simply, again, go to my website, and there is a little icon for iTunes, and it will take you directly to our podcast. If you sign up for it, it will tell you every time we upload a new message, and uh, it costs you absolutely nothing. Uh, also, there is an RSS feed for Android devices at the same location. Just go there and click. It will take you directly to all of those outlets. Uh, and while you're there on our website and you're doing that, if you'd like to uh, kind of get behind what we're doing, we really do need you. Uh, we really do need you to get behind what we're doing if you are being blessed by this ministry. We are not going to try to manipulate you. Those of you who sign up and those who have been signed up to our ministry know that we do not barrage you with a whole bunch of mail, and uh, we periodically send out something very rarely. But we believe that God is able to lay on your heart what you're supposed to do to help us to take the gospel of the kingdom around the world. And if you appreciate what's happening with our ministry and what we're doing through the power of media and you're enjoying our podcast, you're feeding from our ministry, then sow something back into it and to help someone else to be able to receive the gospel. We're hearing from literally around the world. Internationally, people are receiving and responding to our ministry. And we really deeply appreciate the fact that you are a part of something much bigger than yourself. When you sow into that, it helps us to reach the nations of the earth. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's a new year. Consider becoming a partner with us. There's a place even as you do that on my website where you can set up a recurring charge on your credit card or debit card if you'd like to do that. Uh, we appreciate it. Now let me get into Word. I'm going to go back to the 10th chapter of Luke. We started here last week, and I want to begin in verse number 1. It says, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise 
and the, and the prudent has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to, uh, to, to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, talking to his disciples, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you've seen. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. And a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Now Jesus is going to go into the uh, story here of the Samaritan, but I'm not going to get that far, I don't think, in this particular program. But I want to come back up here and, and just unpack some things from a different viewpoint than probably you've ever seen this before. But Jesus is saying, first of all, uh, to, his, to those who are standing by, especially to his inner circle, he said to them, Blessed are your eyes, for you see that you are looking into things that the prophets and kings desired to look into. And as I shared with you last week, one of the things that they were seeing is that they are seeing that the Son is revealing the Father, and the Father is revealing the Son. And we took you last week into Matthew, the 11th chapter in the Message Bible, and showed you where Jesus said, this is a unique Father-Son relationship. And he said, but I'm not going to keep it to myself. I'm going to go over it line by line with you. In other words, I'm going to teach you how to have a relationship with Father. So what was different? What was different in the mind of this first century audience that was so new is, for the first time they're seeing God, not just as this austere judge, but they're seeing Him as Abba. He is a Father. And we, we, we take that for granted in the New Covenant because we talk about Father God and God being our Father. But see, there was such a reverence even for the name of God in the Jewish mind that they wouldn't even uh, hardly say His name. That's why the Gospel of Matthew, which is written primarily to a Jewish audience, doesn't even use the term the Kingdom of God. It uses the term the Kingdom of Heaven because they're afraid they're going to take the name of the Lord in vain. There are so many wrong concepts about God. When you see God, see, I think it's a tragedy that we are living 2,000 years beyond the cross, and we still have an old covenant paradigm as to how we perceive and see God. We, we preach the mixture of two covenants and call that the gospel, but Paul called that a perversion of the gospel. It's a mixture. And I believe that when he talked to church at Galatia, he says, listen, if you want to go back up under the law and go back to circumcision, go back under Moses, 
you have fallen from grace. Falling from grace does not mean you sinned and did something wrong. As a matter of fact, when you sin, you fall right smack dab into grace. Now, I'm not encouraging you to sin. And you know why? We get so many people saying you guys are just causing people to sin, encouraging them to sin. That's the farthest thing from the truth. And I'm really tired of kind of defending that. But, the, the, what, but what happens is, is that when you do sin, you fall into grace because where sin abounds, that's where grace will superabound. But it's not a grace to leave you in that condition. It is a grace that will help you in the time of trouble. You can receive, uh, you know, come boldly to the throne of grace, obtain mercy, but find a grace to help in the time of trouble. I believe it is the writer Titus said, for the grace of God hath appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. So grace is a teacher, and it will teach you to deny ungodliness. But what Paul called falling from grace is going back up under the law of the old covenant. He called that falling from grace. And he tells them, that whole chapter, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, is the liberty from the bondage of an old covenant paradigm and walking out in this new covenant, out of a father-son relationship, learning how to be governed and led by the Spirit. You know, Romans the 8th chapter says, for they that are led by the Spirit, they're the sons of God. Now that, that's not spooky or weird. What he's saying is you have learned instead of being governed, Romans 7 is the chapter that's a set up for that. And in Romans 7, Paul said when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And it put him on this roller coaster ride of when I want to do good, evil is present. What I want to do is not what I do, but what I hate. That's what I seem to do. Oh, wretched and pitiful man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he opens that chapter and says, thank God, he will. And then he opens and says, there's therefore now no condemnation of them who are in Christ Jesus, in Romans 8, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. But what he teaches you in Romans 8 is those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. In other words, the Spirit of God, when it comes into your life, is the supply it is the government of heaven that has literally moved inside. See, law can make you behave, but the Spirit will transform your heart. You will do what you do, not because of some rule or some threat, but because something has been transformed in your life. Under law, you are conformed. Under grace, you are transformed. Change is inevitable. One of them is more authentic than the other. The law will change your behavior. And that's why people resort to it, because we can get quick looking results from changing behavior. But grace changes the heart. And when the heart is changed, then you start to live out of a father-son relationship where you want to please the father, and the father is working in you, and you are having an intimate father-son relationship. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he's saying uh, to them, I'm willing to go over it line by line with you. I'm not going to keep this to myself, he said in, in Matthew 11. But here he says, listen, he has hid a lot of this from the, from the wise and the prudent, but he's hid it to babes. Those are his children, his people. And he's delivered uh, uh, all of this into the hands of the son to, to reveal the father. So Jesus came 
to reveal the Father. Now, let me just uh, kind of, I want to dig in here a little bit deeper and not have to review so much. But when this lawyer comes to Jesus, this certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let me just say, first of all, that this kind of, think, think with me a little bit. This is a lawyer. Now, he's not a lawyer like our secular law is, where we have lawyers that do contracts on real estate and all this stuff. This is a man who is a professional at the law of Moses. They know the legal loopholes. They know how to justify themselves. They know what the law of Moses is saying. And this lawyer stood up and said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, first of all, that's kind of an oxymoron to me, because you don't do anything to inherit. In order to inherit, somebody has to die and leave you something. You know, I I get blessed when I start thinking about this. And you know, let me just ask you this. Let me just ask you to think about this. In order for you to receive your inheritance, someone has to die and leave you something. Now, the way we teach this, that we inherit heaven when we die. See, inheritance is not what you get when you die. Inheritance is what you get when somebody else dies and leaves you something. Now, I love this because what we think about most of the time is, boy, when I get there, I'm going to get my inheritance. But this text is dealing with way more than when I get there, I'm going to get my inheritance. What this is talking about is he wants you to receive an inheritance because of what his death produced. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, that without the death of the testator, the will is not effective. So Jesus came and died, wrapped himself in human flesh, and died so you could get the inheritance and to make the covenant or the testament, the last will and testament, if you will, the New Testament was inaugurated by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ Hallelujah. If I was preaching, I'd say, reach over and touch your neighbor and tell him somebody died and left you something. Here's the problem. Most people never read their copy of the will. They never read their copy of the will. We don't know the word, so we settle out of court and let our adversary beat us out of what truly belongs to us, or bad theology has even the number one stole our identity and given all of our inheritance either to a national ethnic nation, or it tells us who we are in Adam until the point where we don't know who we are. And because we don't know who we are, we don't know what we have. Man, I'm just tired of seeing God's people beat out of stuff that belongs to them in the new covenant. You have some legal rights in the New Covenant. But what I love about this New Testament is it was inaugurated and set in motion by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but He not only died so you could get what's in the will, He got back up from the dead to be the administrator of His own will to make sure you get what He said you could have. Not only did He get back up from the dead, but He became the advocate, the attorney. You've got an attorney on retainer that every time you go to God in a petition, it's like making a legal motion in the courtrooms of the heavens. Your attorney, Jesus Christ, the righteous, 
whoever lives to litigate or to make intercession for you picks up your request. Listen, I want faith to arise in your heart right now. If you're, listen, you're struggling physically, and you're struggling in your body. You're struggling in your finances. You're struggling in relationships. I want you to stand on the promise of God. Call your attorney, who is Jesus Christ, the righteous, and invoke your legal rights to stand on the Word of God and claim what belongs to you and to your household. Don't settle for less. Now let me just move on because there's a lot I want to unpack here. Probably we'll do it somewhat a little bit more as we go down through here. But he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So eternal life is an inheritance. It's not something you earn. I want to say that again. It's not something you earn. It's something that has been given to you as a will and testament through the death of another. Hallelujah. You have got the greatest inheritance on the planet and don't really realize that you don't got to wait till you die to get it. Like I said, your inheritance don't come to you when you die. It comes to you when somebody else dies. And so let's stop waiting till we get over there to receive some of our inheritance. Now let me say before I go into what I'm about to say next, I want to preface it by saying this. I do believe, I want to say clearly as I can, I do believe that eternal life includes going to heaven when you die. That's settled. I believe that. And I believe that if you're a believer, that that's part of the package of eternal life. But as I got to looking at this text and what I think that the first century lawyer would have thought was, he said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This word eternal is the Greek word aeonian, or that which has to do with an age. And it deals with, if you look these words up, more than just a length of time, a quality of life that exists. It is the life of a certain age. In other words, uh, when he say, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? If you look this up in Young's literal translation, there's a few other translations. He say, what shall I do to inherit aeonian life or the life of the coming age? Now think about that for a minute. In the mind of this first century lawyer, he realizes that an age is coming to a close. And another age is about to dawn. Now, I'm not talking New Age stuff here, like we've polluted, you know, a lot of the pollution is out on New Age stuff. But then the fact of the matter is, is that this first century lawyer realizes, listen, sooner or later, the kingdom's coming. Sooner or later, Messiah's coming. Sooner or later, everything we've read and studied about from Isaiah and Daniel and all these prophets, that this kingdom's coming and and this, uh, this, this, this life is coming that we've been waiting on, sooner or later they realize that this time has arrived. And I believe that as this lawyer is standing there, he's asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit the life of the coming age? What he's saying is, what does life look like under this new covenant? What does life look like in this age of the kingdom that was dawning in the first century? What does it look like to live free from law, but being governed by the Spirit? What, what does that look like? So he's asking Jesus this. Now let me just get this, because I probably am only going to get a little bit more done in this segment. And 1 Corinthians 10, it says, I'm going to begin reading verse 1. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, 
and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all drink, all, did all eat the same spiritual meat, did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now here's the voice, verse I'm after. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. He says, now everything that happened to them under Moses happened to them as examples for us upon whom the ends of the world have come. Now, what I want us to see is that, I want to read this to you from the uh, American Standard Version. It said, these, now these things happened unto them by way of example, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends, plural, of the ages, plural, are come. What Paul is doing here is writing to the church at Corinth. Audience relevance is everything. I keep on reiterating that. He's talking to this church, and he's saying that everything that happened to them under Moses happened to them as an example for this first century church. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't have relevance to us, but he's saying to them, all of those things that happened, happened to them as examples for us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So Paul was telling this first century church at Corinth, you're the people upon whom the ends of the ages have come. That's pretty powerful. So let me just, if I had a chalkboard, this is how I would do it. I would take a big circle and I would say, this is the old covenant age. And then I would take another circle and I would draw it and overlap the first circle just a little bit here in the middle. And I would say, this is the new covenant age. Old covenant age, new covenant age where these two ages are converging are what's called the ends of the ages. It is the back end of the old covenant age and the front end of the new covenant age. So it is the ends of the ages. So this first century lawyer is standing in an old covenant age saying, what must I do to inherit the life of the coming age? So that it's more than a ticket to heaven. It includes that. But see, here's what Jesus, Jesus said. This is, listen, this is life eternal that you would know God the Father and the Son. So he's saying the life of the coming age is the inheritance of the Father and the Son taking up their abode in us, living this life in this new covenant age out of a father-son relationship. That's the life of the coming age that was about to come on the scene with an indwelling Holy Spirit where the, the age, in other words, he said, we're the people upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And this lawyer is asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit the life of the coming age? Now what you need to remember is, 
that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, again, are under the Old Covenant. So when this lawyer is asking Jesus, what must I do? When we go back to Luke 10, he said, you know the law. And he starts giving him the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he comes down and starts giving him all the laws of Moses. Because when they're asking Jesus under an Old Covenant, what do I have to do in order to receive this life? If you want to know what you've got to do, all through the Scriptures... There are several of these guys who ask Jesus, what must I do to inherit the life of the coming age? And he says, you know the law, and, but you see at the end of almost all of them, he will say, one thing thou lackest, because under the law, nobody makes it based on performance, because I believe it is the writer, I think it's Galatians 3 says, for if there was a commandment which could have given life, then verily righteousness would have been by the law. But there was not a commandment. In other words, the old covenant performance-based, what you got to do to earn this, did not produce life. But what happens is, in the new covenant, you receive the life as an inheritance. And as you receive this life, then this life has an outflow of the peaceable fruit of righteousness. See, I believe you'll live right. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that a lot of try, people try to avoid under grace. We're going to look at some of the behavior scriptures. And what he's dealing with when he's dealing with behavior under the new covenant. What does this look like? Well, the first thing you need to understand is it doesn't flow from performance. It flows out of our union with him. It is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. And so he's asking, this lawyer is asking Jesus more than what do I need to do to go to heaven? If that's the case... If that's what he was asking Jesus, why didn't Jesus just say to him, well, you just need to be born again, and you just need to, you know, believe and hold on, wait until Jesus comes. Instead, he tells him a bunch of works. But we know that we're not justified or saved by works. We're saved by grace. That's what the promise was of another, the age that was on them was about to come to a close under the old covenant, and they were about to come into a new covenant. They were the people upon whom the ends of the ages had come. Again, the back end of the old covenant age and the front end of the new covenant age. And it is in this overlap period, which was about 40 years, that most of the New Testament is written because the New Testament is written in a transition period. While the cross ended the demands of the law, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says it was fading away, and two covenants were seemingly in operation, but we're living beyond that mixture. And you see a whole lot of that happening, especially in the book of Acts, where they're deciding what do we keep what do we get rid of? Do we need to circumcise these Gentile believers? Do we need to eat things offered to idols? Do we need to go... Th in other words, all of these things were in debate as they're coming to an end of that age. We've about run out of time. Thank you for joining us this week. If you'd like to sow seed into this ministry to help us continue to preach the gospel of the kingdom, please do it by calling that number on the screen or going to our website and uh, you can sow seed there through credit card, debit card, or you can also write to the address on the screen, include a generous check or money order, and we will deeply appreciate it. Thank you for your help to take the gospel around the world. God bless you. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. 
If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.